Hello, welcome to the podcast. This is Martin. This is Matt. And this is Dino. This is the end of the Lemmy cast series. So, Should we just sum- summarize this real quick? Yeah, Lemmy did a lot of drugs and fucked a lot of women and had a lot of bandmates in his band. Made a lot of albums. 22 yeah. albums, toured a lot in the end. All right, guys, thanks for listening. <laughs> we're, fucking, <laughs> we're fucking drinking, so we could just listen you know, to us get drunk. I, I'm, I'm actually double fisting. I'm fucking on my spring break, so this is you know, time. I only see one in your hand, bro. I can't always be going at it like at your fucking father's wedding, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember that fucking evening. <laughs> oh, man. So I'll never forget. I never forget. Dude, I'll never forget your father after, like a week later, when we saw him at that bar. And he, he just saw me and he started cracking up yep. immediately. I was like, fuck, I must have done some well, interesting things. You know, your, your family, I guess, has a. a a uh, history of not holding a liquor. Well, I was double fisting scotch yeah. for a few hours, plus a couple beers. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Um, anyway, speaking of drugs, alcohol. Yeah, that brings us up to 1986. <laughs> <laughs> when Motorhead signed with their tour manager, uh, who was, I guess, a big piece of shit. His name was Douglas Smith. So yeah. he uh, yeah, had his... Dick. Yeah, he had his own label, uh, Great Western Road. You know where that was from? No. That's the address of his business, or the name of his business, or the street of his business. Oh, okay. So that was the street that his business yeah, was Yeah, I apologize on. in advance for my speaking because... Did you finish both of those beers already? No, no. no. I'm still on my first one. Okay. Maybe you should slow down, you fucking lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, no, the... the um, where are we? But Douglas Smith was with them for a little while. He was their manager, but yes, then yeah. he decided they Motorhead decided to sign with them because it's because uh, they just left Bronze Records on yeah. bad terms. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they also decided to do merchandising with GW Great Western Road. Um, yeah, so and his wife, I think, handled the merchandise aspect. Yeah, uh, Doug's so. wife. Um, but that what that meant was is that every single aspect of their business was handled by one person. One guy, so there yeah. was like, there was nobody to go to bat for them if if they were getting screwed, you know. Yeah. Um, it was actually interesting because, um, you know, with the whole Ace of Spades being kind of popular, or not kind of popular, but I never heard it. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's just really interesting because like you would expect all these record companies to say, hell yeah. You know, you guys released Ace of Spades. We want you on our label. But, like, tons of labels just passed them by. I feel like that's kind of... It happened a lot yeah, with them. Right. So, that's... Th- them going to um, GWR was kind of their, like, last... It seemed like. Last resort. Yeah, last resort. Oh, that's interesting. See, I didn't get that from the bio. Um. So, also, during this time... Orgasmatron was released, and Lemmy was pretty unhappy with the way. Um, actually, wait a second. Am I fucking up? No, that was I, later. I wasn't think it? he was happy with the album, but um, I it didn't have... sell shit. Oh, you know, what? I'm thinking of 1916. This is correct. So, Orgasmatron was was released, um, but no, I thought I thought that he he had some gripes with it. I think he said a few of the songs could have turned out better. Yeah, there were like some harmonies that didn't come through on the official release. That um that he wanted to come through, right? So the, were mixed out. I the, feel like that was the, with the next couple, right? Like yeah. this one and the next couple. There's like 
well, first of all, Lemmy claims that they never made a bad album, but there were issues with the songs. Yeah. Some so, of them. Bill Laswell. He, yeah. Uh, previously uh, produced Herbie Hancock, Mick Jagger, and Pill. Um, I'm pretty. I like Herbie Hancock, man. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Lemmy actually says in I guess White Line Fever that um, that Bill was good at making sounds, but um, he fucked everything up in the mix. So the album that they sent him was much better than the album they got back. Yeah, that's what he. Yeah, yeah. I remember him saying. Yeah, that. he said it was dreadful. Orgasmatron was mud. Yeah, because yeah, he listened. He remembered listening in the studio some some mixes and being like, "Okay, yeah, this is good." And then yeah, the final product wasn't wasn't what he wanted. It's yeah. raw, <laughs> um, fucking donkey. But yeah, the album sold like shit because GWR, great great Western Road, uh, farmed it out to several distributors, and they just couldn't get it into stores. They weren't reliable. I listened to it, and it's fucking. It it is a dreadful sounding album. Oh really? But yeah, but the, the mix is a little actually, claustrophobic, right? Yeah. yeah. The this the songs though in themselves are not that bad. Like no, to fine. me, it's it, it sounds like a little merciful merciful fate esque, like on the solos, just the way it sounds. I mean, I I don't know, man. I like, was listening to it like uh, last week. Um, I don't know why I just wanted to put it on. But uh, I didn't get the Merciful Fate-ness, but... I, I have to show you the song. I, okay. Though. I okay. just yeah. think of, like, earlier Merciful Fate with, like, kind of tinniness. Yeah, you know, it was like, it was kind of off. There's, was it because of the production that you were yeah, thinking that, of? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to some say. Some of Fate's <laughs> albums are produced pretty terribly. Yeah. Um, but it's the charm. Yeah. <laughs> some of those some of those mixes could use... I actually think that's a master... It's Sorry, this is a different band, but I think a lot of Merciful Fate's problems were actually mastering issues. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, so that was 1986. In 1987, Lemmy had a part in the movie Eat the Rich. Hold on one second. I want to go back to Orgasmic Trong. Okay. I have some cool, cool little facts. Uh, so the original the original um, name of the album was going to be Riding with the Driver. But um, the later was changed to Orgasmatron because it was too late for Joe Pentagono to change the, the cover art of the train design he was using. Um uh, well, also, I think that he had said that um, because of the issues with the production, that that um, that riding with the driver, yeah, was actually like didn't turn out to be as good a song as it should have been, and so they didn't want to use that as the title track because they weren't as proud of it to make it a title track anymore. Yeah, and Lemmy actually came up with the idea of the train because <laughs> uh, Joe uh, Pentagona says Lemmy was living on a houseboat houseboat then. And collecting train models, he said, you know, Joseph, I want a fucking train. And it seemed weird to me, but yet again, it worked. So That's so strange because I thought in the book, I think Lemmy says that uh, somebody else came up with the idea of the train. Wasn't well, it actually? I thought he said Douglas came up with the idea of the train. No. I, no? I, no. I mean, I, I can't remember. Anyways, I think there might be some conflicting stories on the train idea. Drugs. Well, that, I, that, I remember that came from the 30th anniversary bonus DVD. Oh... Uh, Okay, well, who knows, man. Well, anyways, what I do know is that that train only only worked like once, and then they stopped using it because it broke down all the time or something. Yeah, and it was too. I think it was. Um, let's see, they they had it they they had it built, but they they realized it would they couldn't get it into any venues because it was so monstrous. Just like the bomber rig. Yeah. Yeah. And what I had, what I let me says also is that um, that the tracks like they couldn't get the tracks to be 
evenly spaced like um reliably like gaps between oh yeah when the crew would set it up so they couldn't even get the train like moving along the tracks (laughs) it would get stuck moving along the tracks so they tried a couple times and they they gave up on it yeah and the song uh um the title track i guess is uh lemmy's uh revulsion with hypocrisy and it's some he hate things he hates most in life organized religion politics and war i am the one yeah. orgasmatron which is funny <laughs> uh just re- reading his quote on it it's funny he goes things like people go to church and come in their pants while communicating with jesus christ is all a bunch of bullshit if you're really into that you don't need to go to church or talk to god you can talk to him everywhere or if you're join a political party and get your jollies on that, uh, when your party wins and all that, it's uh, it's the herd instinct. The same thing with war. They give you a nice new uniform and you march march, march off to die. Yeah, I think that's almost a reference to the his uh, fascination with Germany, World War One and Two. Yeah, he does. I must say, he looks smashing in a German uni- uniform. And I will admit that the Germans yeah. had way better uniforms than any other fucking soldiers. I think everybody admits that the Germans were yeah. were oddly stylish for yeah. being such a hateful group yeah. of people. They died in style. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess I think you, the officer. I guess you can say that <laughs> the officer uniform. Yeah. I think yeah. better than yeah. Yeah, but you know that brings up an uh, an interesting point. The Lemmy had to combat um, people saying that he was like a Nazi. Um, well, he collected so, mar- Nazi memorabilia. Yeah, and and Nazi knives and uh, yeah. and things like that. Well, I think knives in general, but you know, lots of na- Nazi knives and things. But um, he had so many. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, anyways, though. Yeah, but <clears throat> he he was very much anti. Nazism and and racism, um, and uh, from everything I could tell, reading up on him and uh, his reply to people saying that was, "Well, I've had eight black girlfriends, so you know, yeah, I, I'm probably the worst Nazi you've ever seen." Yeah. Um, <laughs> as he was driving, it, that was a day. It was in the uh, documentary, I think, just called Lemmy, and uh, he was driving around a German tank. Yeah, and I actually saw that. Fired. Yeah, it was such a great scene. Yeah. <laughs> I fucking loved it, dude. The smile on his face was so big. Yeah, he looked like a little kid. Yeah, man. It was delightful. Um, Yeah, though. So So Pete Gill was fired, right? Yeah. So that was was while they were filming Eat the Rich in 87. Oh. So uh, in the ballroom scene of that movie, what's funny is that I guess that they had this idea on the spot to replace the band that was going to be in a scene with, with Motorhead. But they did it like... They came up with the idea after they had started shooting the scene. So if you watch the scene in the ballroom, you'll notice first it starts off with Lemmy there, and then all of a sudden there'll be like a couple other members, and then by the end of the scene, it's the whole band is different. Uh, but funny. at the beginning of the scene, it's a different band completely. <laughs> yeah, it's like not yeah. So it's super funny. Um, but yeah, when Pete Gill was fired, Lemmy said, "Uh, yeah, he went up against me on a couple of decisions, and he was making Phil and Wurzel upset too." And uh, the last straw was him, I guess, making the band wait 20 minutes to a half an hour in the hotel lobby while he was reading the paper. And yeah. I, th- I think that they had to actually go and shoot something that day. And he, so when he got out, they were already in the car and he rolls down the window. He goes, I fed up. I was fed up. I rolled down the window and said, fuck you. You're fired. And we drove off. And Phil Taylor wanted back in. So he just gave the, sh- the, uh, the spot to him. Oh, yeah. And Lemmy's a speed freak. So he doesn't like waiting. Yeah. He doesn't like waiting <laughs> at all. 
And, and Life's moving too fast. In the in that documentary, the guys from uh, Hawkwind were talking about how he would be up for like three days, and then he'd get in the van and he'd just be like totally fucking grumpy because he didn't have any sleep. So he'd just like sit there quietly, Why does that like sound not familiar? talk to anybody. You Probably because we have all known speed freaks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're a very disagreeable bunch of people. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so in uh, June 1987, they recorded the album Rock and Roll. Rock and Roll! New drummer Phil Taylor. Damn. Uh, The new old? New old. Yeah, exactly. Old new old old. And then this was another one where it was uh, the the producer Guy Bidmead. He produced it, and they weren't really impressed with the the quality of it at the end. Um, I think part of it was too many cooks in the kitchen, and... I think there's a quote saying that guy just, he didn't have the balls to just tell them to shut the fuck up. Yeah, I remember reading that too. Yeah. So, a lot of people were making decisions that probably shouldn't be making decisions. Yeah, that's the thing. If you're going to have a producer, the the producer really does need to kind of keep everybody in check. Yeah. Um, You know, otherwise you got what, Bob, Bob Rock syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Just becomes part of the band. <laughs> I'll play bass on the album, guys. Yeah. Uh, then after that, they toured with Alice Cooper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And his Alice's tour manager was kind of a pain in the ass. Revoked Motorhead's stage passes. Wouldn't allow them on the stage at certain times. They had to. They could only get access, I think, during sound checks. And then, like, 30 minutes before and after they played. So they were just fucking fed up with it. But didn't you say Alice Cooper had nothing to do with that? Yeah, Alice Cooper had nothing to do with it. And he actually didn't know about it until Lemmy brought it up years later. Yeah, and what's what's interesting also about that tour is that um, they missed the first month or so of it because there were issues with the U.S. Immigration Department. Oh, yeah. Um, So they actually, I mean, like, the whole tour was just really a huge pain in the fucking ass. Um, but when Lemmy talked about the the manager, he said, and I quote, "That guy was a complete cunt." <laughs> I love that word. Yeah. So, but the way that he got around that was he actually took all of the crew and the band members' passes and went and threw them down on. There was some other person working. The there. accountant. No, yeah, no, the, no, no. I think he threw them on the tour manager's desk, but the accountant was the one that was like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mm-hmm. We need the pull of this band to pull off this tour, yeah. and the money's too good. Guys, you can have your passes back. Yeah, and then that the um, the manager got fired. The tour manager got fired. Yeah, but I wasn't clear if it was during that tour or afterwards. I get the feeling it was after the tour. Yeah. Happened, especially if Alice didn't know about it. Yeah. 1988? Well, that's when that happened, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah. maybe, but No Sleep at All live album. Well, uh, my notes for 1988 are just basically how Phil Campbell broke his ankle fighting with Phil Taylor. Yeah, those two are really funny. Well, <laughs> well, I think, him and I think really. Too. I was <laughs> gonna, no, I was gonna say I think really the common denominator here is filthy. Yeah, but know? but still, uh, uh, Campbell had had an attitude, had a little bit of an attitude himself. Yeah, that's true. Did he? But because yeah, let he, me totally describe him as being like a background person kind of. Yeah, until, but but if you pissed him off. He, he, would, he would express it. Well, and he was also quitting the band like every 
other yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Too. But we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get. Bit. I think that was really coming up uh, in the early '90s, mostly. Yeah, um, the '90s, man. Yeah, but let me said they had fallen under a table, and only one of them got up. <laughs> 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 and then the uh, the remaining gigs on that tour were done with fill in a cast. So I actually was like, "That's pretty badass." That's kind of like what how Dave you, Grohl did that recently. Dude, like, put, yeah, put it, put it in his fucking stiff armed it. I don't know what you're saying. What are you saying? <laughs> Wait, Phil broke his broke ankle. His Campbell. Oh. Yeah, his a- oh, yeah, his yeah. ankle. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Too many fills, man. Yeah, by the way, they just keep... There's more fills I later. Know, right? I'm like surprised at how many fills <laughs> this fucking guy knows. Um, but yeah, what also happened in 1988 was recorded a live album, No Sleep At All, with the same guy, by a guy bid me same issues... Wouldn't tell them to shut the fuck up. Um, and then they toured with Slayer. That would have been a cool tour to see. Yeah. And uh, I guess Tom Araya kept saying, do you, do you want to see some blood on stage? <laughs> and then Lemmy's like, dude, you got to like, that's not a good thing to say. And then Tom's like, no, these are this is my crowd. These are my people. These are my people. And then at a later show, I think a couple days later, he said it again. Do you guys want to see some blood? And someone fucking threw a chair on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Tom flipped out and like fucking just was pacing back and forth on the stage, flipping off the crowd. And uh, wow, Lemmy's for a, a chair. Lemmy's just like, so this is your crowd, huh? <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, um, I think at, on one show, uh, Lemmy dressed up as Adolf Hitler behind J- Jeff Hanneman oh while they were God. playing on stage. Yeah, that makes so much fucking sense, dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, Great. man. You would never do that shit nowadays. No. Oh, God. So um, is that all we have for 1988? Yeah, that's... yeah. Matt? Um, no, I, I don't have notes for there because I was told to stop. Okay. Don't blame it on me. I so, did. I'm blaming it on the night. <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> is that... Wait. What is that from? Is that Dio? Blame it on the no, night. No, it's Shame on the Night, but I just... Oh. Shame on the Night. It is Shame on the Night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I heard it the way you said it. No, I know. That's what... I'm not, that, I was was geni- that was the like, genius Wait, thing. It, it's Dio. I know. Um, okay. So, 1989. So, this is... Uh, Oh, I was wrong. It's 1989. Phil Campbell is like repeatedly trying to leave the band. No um, way. <laughs> yeah, like I don't. Let me. I don't even think really gave uh, some concrete any sort of concrete reason behind it uh, in his biography. But he was saying that there was one incident that happened in particular which tickled my fancy, where uh, uh, Phil Campbell <laughs> was on the bus with them and they were going to the event and he was like yeah. i fucking quit i'm out of here driving to the airport and he goes well see the band pays for this bus but you're not in the band anymore phil so <laughs> <laughs> so you don't get to tell the, the the bus where to go because you're not paying for the bus because you're not a member of the band so you can either get out or you can shut the fuck up and then he just stayed on the bus and stayed in the van and played the gig. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but was that was that in Germany when? Oh no! So my favorite one uh, is when they're in Croatia and they're they're driving like up a hill or something, remote area, and it's during a blizzard. 
and fucking Phil oh, Campbell's yeah. pacing up and down the bus, and he's just packing his shit. He's stop the bus. He gets <laughs> off. This is deja vu. He, he looks out in the distance, <laughs> and there's one light in the valley. And as he's looking at the light, it turns off. <laughs> All hope is lost. <laughs> and he gets back on the bus. Yeah, I don't blame him. I remember, yeah, and Lemmy said that the entire bus was fucking an uproarious <laughs> laughter. Uh, so great. So fucking great. Um, but also during this time, uh, when they were playing a show in Yugoslavia. Luga- uh, Yugoslavia. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, something about that is funny. I don't know why. Um, Lemmy almost lost his, his uh, thumb and his index finger, I believe, because somebody yeah. at, at a show there threw a razor blade at him on stage and it cut his hand like, How the fuck? wide open, uh, which I would guess would be in the webbing That guy's the a thumb. good shot. I don't actually know how that happens. So he he taped a razor blade between two coins. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Damn. There's so much like malice and intent there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but he it he threw it up on stage and Lemmy didn't notice it at first. We kept playing for a minute and he looked down and noticed that there was blood all over his hand. Yeah. And they wrapped it, I guess, and he finished the show out, which I gotta say is probably the most metal thing. I could imagine happening in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's the smartest thing. Well, but plus, I think it's the most metal thing. He said he took the wrapping off at one point and it like splurted. Like it just went. Yeah. And the dressing yeah. room, right? Yeah. Like all over the wall. Well, so then he went down to Germany uh, expecting a, a German doctor to be able to really take care of it. But I, I, he was a bit unclear for me. Uh, maybe you'll know more, but he said that that doctor like completely fucked it up and then it got infected and his whole arm started turning black. Yeah. He got blood poisoning. Steps oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he got blood poisoning and his whole arm started turning black. So, uh, he got in an argument with, I believe he was still with Douglas Smith at this time. Yeah. yeah? So he got in an argument with Douglas about it and he was like, I need to go back to Britain so I can like get this looked at. And Doug wouldn't let him go. And I don't know how he persuaded him, probably in some Lemmy, very strong-armed way. Well, I think at first he said no. Yeah. And then eventually it was like, dude, this is getting bad. Like, you're going to lose your band. And then he's like, fine, fuck it. I, I got the sense that he had to convince Douglas to let yeah, him go, though. Yeah, I think so. Um, and then when he got there, you know, luckily enough, they were able to save his, his fingers and his arm. Sounds like his arm might have possibly yeah, I think it, to be amputated. He, he was at risk of losing his thumb and forefinger. Yeah. And then he stayed in the hospital for two weeks. Damn. I mean, that's like such a crazy injury, man. Just yeah. from a little razor blade. I cut myself yeah. every day on a razor blade. Not every day. That's a <laughs> <Dude>, cutter. <laughs> Is there something you need to let us know, no. man? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm cool, bro. Okay. But apparently, they when they were on stage, they asked, like, like, who did it? And the guy was like, oh, it was me. And oh, so damn. not only did the crew beat the piss out of him, but when the police showed up, they beat the shit out of the guy too. Yeah. <laughs> I think let me say, those are some real professionals right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, and it was good, something like after he got the shit beat out of him, he was like, like he said something taunting, like, Oh, is that all you got? Or like, is I, that it? Something I would say. I gotta tell you, man, that sounds like somebody who's got like a screw loose, you know? Yeah, what I mean? I like think so. it sounds like somebody who's out to hurt, hurt themselves. Um, yeah. So that's all I have for 1989, though. So is 1990 when they start preparing songs for 19 
six the album 1916 it is and then they start shopping wait for hold another. on that actually might be 91 91 1960 is nominated for a grammy so yeah it might have been 1991 i have a quick it. question black yeah. label did they release an album called 1916 1914 19... what was it was it nine it I might think have been right it might be 1916 eternal yeah but 1919 I... eternal? is it 1919 eternal I have to look. Anyway, I that was bothering me for the longest time last night. That's a good album. Yeah, it's a good album. Yeah. That's the one with Battering Ram on it, right? So. Yeah, it's nineteen nineteen Eternal. Okay, nineteen nineteen Eternal. Is nineteen nineteen? There must be a battle that happens in nineteen nineteen, right? Yeah, I don't think because I don't think that's when the war ended, was it? No, no, that war no, went it was on for way too long. Yeah, it went um, on longer than that. Anyway, sorry. I you know what? I should really brush up on my history because I'm starting Dude, to slip on dates. You gotta listen to Hardcore History. Yeah. Podcast. Um, he does like three. It's like four or five parts on uh, Blueprint for Armageddon. It's like three hours each, and it's all on World War One. Wow. It's like fucking. He talks about millions of pounds of artillery explosive for this one battle and it just looks like the fucking moon afterwards fuck it's fucking intense and like pools of like water that are filled with like mustard gas and dead bodies and yeah it's fucking brutal oh god it sounds so fucking horrible <laughs> it's fucking horrible it's fucking brutal okay mankind's well, fucked up i'll listen to it and uh you listeners if you want to brush up on history maybe we'll plug them you should go listen to it too. yeah I'd suggest it to anyone. Yeah. I've been listening to stuff you missed in history class, but they don't do anything that in depth on there. Yeah. Uh, so we're on 1989? 1990. I think. Oh, we're on 90. My bad. Yeah. <clears throat> so is this when uh, Let Me Moves to America? This is when Let Me Moves to America. Dun, 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 man. Um, one thing that I was uh, in one of the documentaries is that uh, I forget who said it, but they're like, yeah, um, LA is not, you know, LA is kind of a, kind of a crazy town. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they said that, um, Lemmy, LA didn't, didn't like, didn't like Lemmy. Really? No, no, no. Like the saying was like, LA, uh, it's hard for me to, to, to describe. LA, like LA wasn't for Lemmy, but Lemmy made LA for himself just because of his attitude. That's so interesting. Because everybody around him was like, kind of, you know, it's like, <laughs> like a, like a, uh, you know how um, Southern California is, image yeah. conscious. Yeah, they're they're very yeah exactly. That's interesting though because I feel like he also fits into L.A. very. But well. he does. But it's like that's I guess that's why uh, like the whole rainbow thing. Yeah, was like his thing. Yeah, well, you know, so what's interesting is so he ended up living two blocks away from the from the rainbow. You know he how much his rent couple, was? Yeah, in like 2010, I think it was $900 yeah, a month. Yeah, it was fucking crazy. Dude, it was so nuts. <laughs> I was like, good for you, dude. Yeah. His apartment was very cluttered, yeah, though. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a hoarder. Yeah, he's... Well... He's a hoarder. I don't know if let's, I would go let's that far, let's but he had the hoarder tendencies. Yeah, for he sure. did. His 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 coffee table was very overfilled with stuff. Like when I watched the, the Lemmy document, yeah. and they and he was like, "Don't film that." And they was like, "Film what?" And he goes, "The trash can." And I was like, 
Is he calling his coffee table the trash can? No, they no there was a trash there can. There was a trash can. But I got to be honest with you. I didn't see it when they panned back to it <laughs> because it blended in so well yeah. with the coffee table. Yeah. I felt kind of bad for him about that. You know, as a side note also, his interaction with his son Paul on there was very touching. Yeah, no, it was great. That hit me like right here in the fucking, uh-huh. right here in the chest, dude. Tissue? No, not like, not like that, but like how Paul, when they ask him, what's your prized possession in, in this apartment? Yeah. And he says, my son, Paul. Right. And Paul didn't know he was going to say that. Yeah. And then Paul was getting emotional about it later. Yeah. How he wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is fucking touching stuff, dude. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. Brings I, that, a glass that I really thought that was awesome. Is that before or after they tag team chicks? No, that was no, they, no they did talk about <laughs> yeah, that they though. Did. Yeah, he said they'd switch they'd switch girlfriends <laughs> twice. I think they said. God damn. Yeah, yeah. I think they said twice. And who knows, man? There were a few years after that uh, that documentary came out. You know, <laughs> it was just funny because Lemmy looked all proud and his kids like, oh my god. Paul, I know Paul he looks like, so oh, embarrassed. God. He looks so embarrassed. Yeah. Lemmy was like, hey, some maybe some some chicks dig that. Uh, well, let me seem to think so. Yeah. Well, some chicks obviously do. Yeah. No, that's what he was saying. Yeah. I don't know. So we're in 1990. <laughs> so, yeah. I want to jump ahead a little bit because oh, yeah? he, he said, because I was thinking about the price of the apartment and he said that because he wrote four songs for Ozzy's album, No More Tears. Well, that was later though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But he said that the money he made off of those four songs is more than 15 years than he's made in motorhead for the 15 years before that well that no, was not only that was when um metallica did covers of, of motorhead songs he got like hundreds of thousands of dollars for that yeah and he was talking to um billy bob thornton in yeah, the documentary yeah. and yeah. billy's like oh i made millions and lemmy's like i haven't made my millions yet yeah, and it was like, wow, that's that's kind of shocking. Yeah, well, that how was, fucked the record industry is. That was when Lemmy was talking about staying hungry, though, right? And how if you're yeah. not, if you're not hungry, yeah, you're not, exactly, you're not doing it. Yeah, yeah. Lemmy always had a, I think, a really good attitude about about his situation because I I think he could have very easily become more jaded than he was with the whole industry. Yeah, it it would have been easy because yeah. he had a fucking tough time. Yeah, he did. Get His whole started. life, honestly, seems yeah. like a tough time, man. Uh, yeah, but uh, a couple of those songs. One was Mama, I'm Coming Home. The other one was I Don't Want to Change the World. I don't want to change the world. I actually didn't know that one. That one blew me away when I read yeah. that he did I, I Don't Want to Change the World. I think everyone knows I was like, Mama, I'm Coming Home, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that he that he'd written I Don't Want to Change the World, though. He also wrote songs for Lita Ford and Girl School, I think, yep. as well. So, yeah. Which was surprised me. I didn't know he wrote many songs for other bands. but No, he there, there was a couple other bands that he mentioned in the documentary. I can't remember what it was. But um, I was surprised. He's excellent, man. Yeah. He's excellent. Um, yeah, but so the, the reason why he moved in part was because the band had signed with Sony. And they had some U.S. representation, so it was just easier for Lemmy to be near the Sony executives as opposed to having to have his management fly out in order to have meetings all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the band's next manager uh, was Phil Carson. He was responsible for getting the band signed with Sony, mm-hmm. uh, but he only lasted with them for a couple of years. Uh, and I actually don't think I have the reason why he departed either. I don't, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know that Lemmy goes into that. Um, 
But while Emmy was in America, he realized it was much more overtly racist than Britain was. Britain was a little bit more covert with their racist yeah, he practices. Yeah, a couple good points about uh, the differences between America and England, which yeah. I thought was interesting, but I can't remember too many of them off the top of my head. But Yeah, well, even back then, it still exists now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much it's improved i feel like it's improved a tad bit since the early 90s but i think it's still pretty corrupt yeah well actually i think i'm skipping ahead because he also talks about the riots how, how he realized yeah well he does talk about the riots i don't have notes on that though you guys can talk uh, yeah about I, don't that. I, I don't i don't i remember him talking about jesse owens and how fucked up it was that he won a gold medal and more and, than and, one actually yeah but then he came back to the u.s and like no one treated him with any sort of respect he was everyone was still overtly racist towards him yeah it's uh, fucking yeah. bullshit dude but this is when he started really getting into collecting the, his nazi memorabilia yeah, yeah. yeah and it's when he moved only uh, over he only had a handful of knives i think yeah and i think he had over a thousand by the time oh uh, yeah that documentary Easy. was made yeah i, I mean like every square inch of a 12 foot wall yeah it was just covered with knives. Yeah. Uh, so they recorded nine, the album 1916? Well, that was in 1991, I think, that they started recording. Oh, we're that. not done with 1990? Yeah, I'm sorry. In 1990, they also, uh, he and Mick Green, who was a hero of his from the Pirates, oh, yeah. they recorded a, cla- a bunch of classic rock tunes oh, right. from people like Elvis Presley. And uh, it was released on a single called Lemmy and the Upsetters. Um, so if you're interested in hearing what that sounds like, I'm sure it's out there. Did, did, was that the band that they showed in the documentary a little a bit? I think that might be a different band, but it sounds like the same thing. It does sound like the same thing, but I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure. Anyways, it could, it could be, I, I was unsure of that too, but I feel like that those guys were too young to be a hero. Of yeah. Because <clears throat> he was in his fifties or six, he was in his sixties when, that was, when that was recorded. Yeah. Um, so that's all I have on nineteen ninety. So nineteen ninety one. So I think they recorded nineteen sixty in nineteen ninety, but it wasn't released until nineteen ninety one. But it was originally produced by Ed Stasium, but he was adding shit to tracks, and they found out because they're like, let me. He's like. Can you can you increase those tracks right there? And he added a bunch of like tambourines and bongos and shit. What the fuck? And then what he, an idiot, dude. And then he, he's like, dude, you're fucking out. Yeah. So so they hired a guy, Pete Soli, who they thought was great. Um, this is also a time when they weren't able to sell out shows in England. So uh, so, and then England stopped taking Motorhead for tours at all. Yeah, outside of London, they couldn't. They weren't booking anything, right? Yeah, they wanted like a ten thousand dollar deposit to like book a venue. It was fucking bullshit. So crazy. Um, and I might be jumping ahead here, but the uh, they tried Sharon Osbourne as a tour as a manager. Yeah, that was in uh, nineteen ninety two, I believe. Okay. Well, actually, you know what? That was in ninety six when they went to Japan. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, I'm going way ahead. That's okay. You know what? He 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 does that. He's talking about 1992 yeah. in the book, and then he talks about Sharon and stuff. And I did some research on the internet and found out that that was in 96 when that happened. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, he does that. That's why. Yeah. Um. But, yeah. So, 
in 91 though like uh so sony had to farm out the artwork for 1916 because they brought in five sketches and all of them were completely shitty yeah and uh <laughs> then they bring in one and it was he was like no this is fucking gar-. they thought he'd like it like lemmy would like it and yeah. like, this is garbage so they did five more yeah and he's like, this is all fucking shit <laughs> yeah he's like these are terrible his his quote was that that all of them were atrocious yeah um so they had to actually farm out of house in order to get the, make the band happy. And he actually still wasn't that happy with it because it was missing the French flag and the battle that this, that, uh, that the song is about, uh, happens in France. So yeah. he was like, Oh, well the fucking French flag isn't on the album. Yeah. You know? Um, they're done maybe, I don't know. but, uh, 1916 was nominated for a Grammy, but they lost out to Metallica. Um, uh, you know what song Metallica went for? I mean, what what they won for? Black album? No, no, no. But was it album or was I, it song? I think it was for an album. So that would have probably been Master of Puppets. No, 1990. Didn't they come out with the Black Album in 1990? Was that 90? I yeah. thought that was 94 or something around there. Mm. Was uh, released in 1991. August 12th. So it would have been the Black Album. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I was just wondering if that was album or like song like song of the year, that kind of thing. Uh that actually I don't know. But but so so but they lost out to nineteen nineteen sixteen was nominated, but they okay. lost out to the black album. Okay. Okay. Um and then Phil Phil Taylor's mother died also. Mm-hmm. Um right as the bank the band began to tour for in Great Britain, but they um they gave him some time to go see his mother before she passed away. Uh, and this was also the same year where they did the Operation Rock and Roll Tour, which was all Sony bands. So Alice Cooper headlined with uh, Judas Priest, Metal Church, Fuck yeah. Motorhead, and Dangerous Toys. I was like, Dangerous Toys is obviously the odd man out on, yeah. this, on this bill. Yeah. Like, what a fucking terrible band. I would have saw that show in a fucking second. Oh, dude, dude. I would have been... Fuck, I would have needed to come with like four fucking changes of pants who have been coming in my pants every fucking show every band i mean but apparently dangerous toys was the band that sony wanted to promote because it was like they had a singer that could do high-pitched vocals had red hair so it had like the axel rose factor mm-hmm. and um, so they were all excited like this is the next big thing yeah. Which, that's why we all listen to Dan- dangerous man. toys right yeah. that's why we all listen to dangerous toys now because that band is awesome yeah. well nobody really listens to uh guns and roses either so <laughs> well, I mean, Paradise City plays, you know. Paradise City plays. Yeah, but Welcome to the Jungle. Welcome plays. to the Jungle you, plays. Can you honestly say that you love their new their new album? Oh, is that what you're talking yeah. about? Oh, fuck no. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, not in the slightest. They made a new album. <laughs> Dude, when I was when I was playing around with Tom, he said that that album was the shit. What? Chinese Democracy. He was like, Chinese Democracy is genius, and I was like, Tom, he's. No. Wait, that that's the <laughs> album that they like re-recorded. Like they did the death clock thing where they like almost finished and then he's like, no, and then hit yeah. the erase button. <laughs> yeah. Because he recorded I think he at least started recording with Zach Wilde and then he kicked Zach out and then he, he started over and over and over again. Yeah. Best Buy, that album was was such a flop that so I worked at Best Buy at the time and we used to have these monthly meetings and in they used to produce they had a, an in-house like production company where they would film stuff and in that month's in-house thing they made fun of chinese democracy (laughs) for being such a fucking flop 
Yeah. They were like, oh, but it could be worse or something about some sale thing. And then it had Chinese democracy. And then like we all fucking were dying. <laughs> so great. Anyways, yeah, that was a disappointing record. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they got uh, booted a couple times from the 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 lineup on that tour. And a big part of it was they didn't have a tour manager or a manager fighting for them. And I think there was a review in Metal Hammer, maybe? I'm not really sure. They said that Motorhead was the tangy mustard in a bland noise sandwich. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> Which I gotta say is very insulting to Judas Priest and uh, Metal Church and Alice Cooper. Yeah. Although I think, for my personal taste, mostly to Judas Priest. Yeah. 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 Fucking love Judas Priest. Um, but yeah, there, one cool story though is that when they got bumped in North Carolina, they did a small show with Metal Church. They just set yeah. one up themselves and did their own gig uh, during a tour, which is, I see you shaking your head, Matt. No, I, I'm just thinking about old school Metal Church, bro. I'm just Oh, like, dude. Watch the children pray, bro. I know, dude. I'm just Fuck like yeah. losing my shit over here. So good. Uh, God, the first album from Metal Church is, you oh. know, I don't know if people are going to hate me for this, but I think the first album is the best album for Damn. me. The album is awesome. I listened to that album the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just because I was like, oh, yeah, Metal Church. I think it was because I was reading the book. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I I, I was thumbing through Metal Church today. I went to Rest, uh, Rasputin Music, and I was thumbing through Metal Church to see what was in there, see if there's anything I wanted to get. Yeah. Yeah. It was... It was the metal... The Anyways, I don't want to digress too much, but the metal section there sucks now because they got these pullouts. Which is kind of a cool idea, but now like all this music is hidden from playing uh, view. Yeah. So I don't know how I feel about that. There's um, too many bands now, bro. I guess. I don't know. I feel like they need to have a, a better metal curator than they have because there's definitely some shit that should be there that isn't, and there's some stuff that shouldn't be there that is. Oh, in the metal section? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you got you got to have a curator if you're gonna have a fucking section. That's going to be small and all that shit. Preach it. That's right. I will preach it. That's the thing. Corey should be their fucking curator, dude. Corey knows everything. But Corey is now in South. He's going to be a fucking social worker, bro. Yeah, he's in, he's in, a, he's in SoCal. Yeah, dude. San Diego. San D. He's killing it. He's got like, I think, another year in him. And he's a fucking social worker. Oh, I don't know. Actually, he might need to do hours after. It doesn't matter. That's the best. So um, when does Mickey D join the band? Um, 92 or 93? 92, I believe. Oh, so he was in the band for 24 years. Damn. Yeah. The guy's something else. Yeah. The guy's a beast. He is a fucking beast, dude. His stuff that he did with Motorhead's great, but I gotta be honest, dude. King Diamond forever. Yep. Dude, he's, got, he's got to fucking record with them again. I fucking want him to play live or something. Just studio it up. Do one song. Just do yeah, dude. I think he should rejoin again. It's not going to happen, though. I know. No, fucking sucks. Because they're um, dreams. Matt, on a, Matt on Thompson. A Matt Thompson's been in the band longer than Mickey D was even in the band at this point now. So, but Matt Matt Thompson can 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 lay it down live. I give it to him. Yeah, he can lay it down live. It's it's a studio that concerns I me. Think, I th <laughs> think King has something to do with that. I think King does too, actually. But I got to be honest, though. I mean, you get Mickey in the studio fucking magic will happen yeah magic Fuck, all dude. up in your face 
Bad Magic was such a great album. It was actually. I listened to it again. Yeah, Mickey D fucking kills it. The on that one, album. the fucking the something about the lights. Shoot your lights out, dude. Yeah, that opening, dude. This makes me cream my crop. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> cream my corn. <laughs> That's right, babe. Cream my corn. All right. <clears throat> so in 1992, Phil Taylor uh, is fired from the band. He's fucking up. He is fucking up big time. Actually, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Um, so I know that he they, he was trying to rehearse with the guys, right? Phil Campbell and Wurzel back in, um, in England. And when he was rehearsing, they're just like, fucking stop, dude. Like, Phil, Phil Taylor, you're fucking up. Like, what's going on? And he's like, oh, yeah, my Walkman broke. Like, so he just didn't listen to the tracks? And the Walkman had broken a year earlier. Was it a year? Something crazy like that, yeah. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, so he was fucking up then, and then when it came time to record, like, he actually needed to use a metronome, which surprised me, because I thought they would have definitely used a metronome beforehand, but he was, like, picking up pace, slowing down, speeding up. He Avant-garde. wasn't consistent, and so... Um, <laughs> And it sounded like his his heart w- wasn't in it anymore, so they fired him. There's more than that though, because he started getting on these crazy drug benders where he was <laughs> acting nuts. Mm-hmm. Matt, do you have anything on this? No, one? I, I don't. Okay. because I didn't research this, this section. So um, he uh, apparently they were in a hotel, and he was he must have been up for a while to get in this kind of a oh. weird state. Yeah, where he was I like, remember this? Yeah, he was locked in in the bathroom in his hotel. And he was trying to get out the window. Only the window was actually the mirror in yeah. the bathroom. Whoa. So, and he couldn't figure out why he couldn't get out. So he was like punching the walls and like yelling and stuff. And his hands were all bloody. And so I guess, I don't know if he had called Lemmy. Did he call Lemmy? Somehow Lemmy caught wind of this. They uh, Yeah, they found out. Uh, they were... Yeah, so Lemmy ended up outside of his door to try and open up the door. Yeah. To get him to open the door, actually, really. And then two police officers showed up and were like, is he dangerous? And Lemmy was like, only to himself. Um, And the, I guess the police ended up forcing down the door. And actually, Lemmy doesn't say what happens to Phil. I would guess he was arrested for disturbing the peace, but I don't but know. But usually if, if he's in that kind of episode, they would they would arrest him and put him in a kind of a sober cell to 5250 yeah. or something. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. They didn't say whether he was put in a 5150 or not. But 5150. Yeah, well, no, 52, but it's not like that. 5250s do exist, though. They're just once you're already in. Oh, okay. Um, But, uh, yeah, so he actually didn't explain that part of it. I think he just thought the story itself was so funny. Yeah. That he didn't actually say what the end was. I actually didn't find the story very funny. I was like, felt really it was bad. It kind of sad, yeah. Yeah, I felt really bad for, for Phil. Um, yeah, and this is, I think, around the time when he starts writing for Ozzy, too. Is around this time. Mm-hmm. Mama, I'm coming home. Well, so no, he wrote for No More Tears and then the one after that. Right, there was I can't remember the fucking yeah, was, uh, was it Osmosis that came after No More Tears? Maybe. Yeah. I don't I don't actually remember yeah. exactly what came after. It might it might be Osmosis. Down Dude, Zach is a fucking fiend. Um anyway, so Mickey D joins the band and There he, he is. 
he recorded a song, uh, Hellraiser, which in the, the in the biography it doesn't say it was written for Ozzy, but I'd read online that it was. So there's kind of sounds like it. Yeah, does it? Yeah. Okay, because it yeah it said that it was originally written for Ozzy, but it ended up on the Motorhead album. And Tommy um, Aldridge ended up recording the the rest of the drums. Damn. On the Which for me, I was like, that's the coolest fucking thing ever. Yeah. March yeah. or Die album. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, was that on March or Die? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I think I accidentally pushed my March or Die thing after that note. Fuck it up. Yeah. So, yeah. See, look, there it is right there. March or Die is made. <laughs> um, so, uh, of Mickey D, he said, Mickey, I have to say, is the best drummer I've ever played with. Which was no surprise to Those me. Those are some 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 nice words there. Yeah. Those are some really nice words. He did say Phil Taylor in his day was good. Yeah, I mean, let's not make any. But also, Phil Taylor was make, fucking having fights with everyone and anyone. Where Mickey D seemed like he was a pretty chill guy. Yeah. Besides for being a homophobe, but he's, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he'd tell you to go fuck off. But he's a he's a wait. What'd you say? I said it. It seems like Mickey D would tell you to go fuck off, but. That's oh yeah, Mickey D. I think could could stand up for himself. But yeah, no, that was really I that broke my heart to read that he was a he was a homophobe. Yeah, I think it's probably because he was too pretty, and and a lot of you know guys from you know the glam scene were like, oh hey hey hi hey hi. You know, a lot of homophobes are gay. No, I know. Yeah, I know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not above saying Mickey D. Might. <laughs> Might might be a homophobe because he's gay. I'll say it. Whoa, I'll say what we're all whoa, thinking. Whoa, that hey. that's stretching, bro. We were talking about it before that we were no, recording. So no, no, no. Hey, listen, <laughs> it, history does repeat itself, and that's yeah. not has happened before. And I'm, and I mean, I maybe maybe he's uh maybe he's into both sides of the responsibility you know I mean? too. Can't handle it. Though. You know, it's he just wants it all for himself. <laughs> I don't want to change the world. I don't want the world to change. <laughs> Um, uh, go ahead. So, uh, so Mickey D recorded the the Hellraiser song, but then he only played, he only rehearsed two songs with Motorhead before they went out on tour with Ozzy, and he fucking crushed it. So, because he's Mickey, fucking yeah, D. he's fucking Mickey D. So, homophobe or not, he's a great drummer. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Our heroes aren't you know are perfect. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know what. I'd say though it's it's kind of a little weird. He's playing with two sticks in his hand. <laughs> wood, <laughs> highly wood sticks. Man, dude, anybody who's a Motorhead fan is definitely gonna stop listening to us. <laughs> Motorhead. Yeah, no, yeah, but Mi- fixed it. yeah, but Mickey D was a is a hero of mine on the drums. So I was like, oh, oh I know no, he was. oh no, oh no, Mickey. Don't do it, Mickey. Don't do it. Just haven't met the right guy, Mick. <laughs> oh, God. Even though you have a family, that's okay. Hey, listen. Again, that's hey, happened. man. That happens too. Yeah, I, was, I so when I was lit, so my at our last house uh, or at my family's last house, um, there was a gay couple living across the street, and two women would visit every now and then. When we got to know them, we re- we found out that they were both married and had families. And then their wives introduced them, and they fell in love, and they divorced. Their oh my wives. god, it's like the show uh, Grace and Frankie. Oh, is that? Yeah, yes, exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Damn. So they they both divorced, but they were still really good friends with their wives. So the the women that were coming over were their ex wives, dude, hanging that, out. That that that's that's nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, man, it was it was pretty cool. They were really cool guys. 
Their ex-wives were nice too. <laughs> uh, yeah. So March or Die was made, and um, Sony appeared to do everything in their power to ensure that that was a fucking flop. Yeah. Fuck you, Sony. Kind of sad. No, I'll say fuck you, Sony. I don't own any Sony products. Yeah, you do. I got a Samsung television set. <laughs> what do I own that's made from Sony? I'll find it. I'll find it around here. I don't think you will. I think I will. Uh, yeah, so, well, this is also the time where uh, Todd Singerman came on as the manager. Yeah. So, him and the, the new producer of the record both were guys that just like, like, let me like Todd was just let me let me manage you let me man and like just stuck around and I like, fine fuck you can manage us and same thing with the producer Pete Sole was just like I'm just gonna stick around while you guys rehearse and then they're like okay fine we'll fucking go with you and they both I think worked out pretty well yeah um so they made their album with and this was March or Die album right yeah and um they did a track ain't no nice guy where ozzy sang on it slashed it a solo like fucking sellable to any fucking rock and roll or metal crowd and sony didn't push it at all they they didn't fucking send it out to any uh radio stations so motorhead did it themselves and it got to a point where Sony got word of it and was like, you have to take that off the air because we didn't say that you could play that. Yeah. And this was when the song actually got to number 10. Yeah. And was it number 10 in the radio? Hits? Or billboard. Well, I'm, well, it seemed like he was talking about, there's a circuit called, uh, a and O, which was something about, A&R? was it a and R? It has something to do with the um, with the genre of music, so it okay. was marketed to specific kinds of radio stations that played rock and roll, and, yeah, yeah, and metal, rock and roll, and um, and I think in that circuit it it reached number ten, is yeah. what it was, yeah, and yeah, and he's I think he said it only took like two weeks of them pushing it themselves to get it there, yeah, uh, which is I think really impressive, yeah, and. Sony didn't do anything about it. Yeah, you know, and he, there's a line in the book where he, when they eventually leave Sony, uh, and he was talking with a Sony executive, and he says, why didn't you tell us the truth Yeah. about what was going on? And the guy goes, that's not the way this business works. Yeah, and, Damn. and Lemmy calls them ignorant fucking elitist twats. He should have used cunt. It's probably in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, it just wasn't in this book. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but around this time, after they were dropped from Sony, they also toured South America. Argentina, I think Brazil. Yeah. Um, he didn't mention Mexico, but I would be surprised if they didn't stop off there somewhere. But this is when he talks about um, they were going to go to... Was it in Argentina? They were going to go to like the president's son's place yeah something like that and they were gonna party with him and out after they got out of the the venue um they had all these guards around their van and somebody was tampering with one of the seats in the van and so let me was like oh. i refuse to get in this van i will not do it i need a completely new van um and then they were like well there is no other van he goes then i'm gonna sleep here at the venue i'm not gonna get in that van 
because I don't know what the fuck you guys have been doing to it. And then lo and behold, there is another van. So they get in it. They go to um, to the president's son's place. And while they're approaching, all of a sudden the cop pulls up behind them. They're not speeding or anything. Pulls them over and goes right for that seat. In oh, the van, shit. Right? But then nothing was there. Oh. Yeah. Get it? Yeah. Yeah, man. Fucking set up. So then he just sort of like berated them for a while and then just let them go because he couldn't do anything. Then they ended up partying and he was like, yeah, it was fun being over there. Not enough women though. (laughs) Oh yeah, there's a lot of dudes there. That's right. I don't know if the term Sausage Fest was around at that point. You know what? I think it was when this book came out. I think he he could have used Sausage Fest. Yeah. It sounded like a Sausage Fest. Festival of Sausages. He wanted clams too. Sometimes you need some clams and a sausage. And that's, so they, they did, they were touring with Ozzy and Alice in Chains at that time. And I think hair, the reason hair, why hair. they did South America was they kind of peeled off with Alice in Chains to do those tours, that that chain of events. Oh, was that that, oh yeah, that was yeah. with Alice in Chains, huh? Yeah. Dude, that would have been such a killer fucking tour to see. Yeah. And then when they went back to the States, they toured with Black Sabbath. So there's a lot of Aussie going on. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was digging on the Aussie. Except when they had to take their naps. <laughs> he fucking hated that. Fucking cryopods. I forgot all about that. I guess they shared a, a dressing room and uh, Black Sabbath required that at a certain time in the afternoon, they get a one hour nap with the lights off and they'd all just sit up on the couch and just fucking sleep for an hour. And so I guess Motorhead was in the dressing room just being quiet. Like, that's so awkward to me. Yeah. Like, okay, for a fucking hour, we just have to be quiet while these geezers nap. So, oh, man. That's funny. Um, legend geezers. Legend. Geezers of legends. Geezer of legend. But yeah, bum, so bum, 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 bum. I guess their uh, their manager Todd ended up at one point uh, cursing out Sony, and they Sony later dropped him from the 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 label. Oh, is that why they were dropped? Yeah. Okay. No, he's sticking up for his band. Well, I thought that I thought that it was because they closed down the uh, sub label that they were on. Yeah, the sub label, and, the, and instead Lem- of transferring them, they just terminated the contract. Yeah, but I think I think Lemmy hints that they're part of the reason was because you know they were all uh, hip to Sony's bullshit, and he's like, you can't just fucking yell at Sony without some repercussions happening. So. Yeah, and he he took yet another shot at Sony and those really big, stupid fucking cardboard boxes that CDs used to come in. Oh yeah, I remember he. I was like, "Oh, he's gonna talk about this again, man." He really hates those cardboard boxes. I don't remember that. Oh yeah, yeah, dude. It, he thought it was ridiculous because people in Sony lost their jobs over trying to get rid of the those big long boxes that CDs used to come in. Yeah. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, dude. Weren't those the dumbest fucking things? Those are so stupid. I so don't stupid, remember dude. any albums that came in those. Oh, dude. I remember that was like how they used to come. And then they switched to the those plastic cases that were really long and tall. Yeah. yeah. And now they just like the jewel case wrap wrapper ones, the yeah. small shorties. But they yeah. used to all come in big boxes, which I think was their way of trying to compete with LPs because the actual CD booklets were it, so small. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it would if they actually would like do something besides put it in a shitty box. Yeah. 
you know. They got the right idea now. They finally got it with the big, thick, nice shit that you can get. You know, like the thick boxes, almost like how Apple makes their stuff. You get like a big, thick thing with a bunch of booklets in it. and Dude, it's crazy. Tape cassettes now are a thing. Like yeah, they'll, they'll the, punk, the punks dude, revived still it. still got a tape cassette. Yeah, but the, like... <laughs> Like all sorts of metal bands and shit, like like Behemoth, they did a limited release of 500 tape cassettes and they fucking went like that. Fuck. I don't, I gotta tell you, I barely understand LPs and I sure as shit don't understand tapes. I don't know, yeah. dude. I have peace cells on tape. They sound great in the Monte Carlo, and I fucking that had blown ass fucking speakers. Listen, I'm not gonna say that like tapes don't sound okay. But you put a tape up against a, like right. a CD or a FLAC format, and that shit is terrible. Yeah, but it, I guess it's kind of the the, the charm of, of driving an old car with a tape player. <laughs> whatever <laughs> floats fucking your flashback, fucking... Flashback, motherfucker! Whatever floats your fucking boat, man. I cool. just I just got to say, it seems like a waste. Tapes are the future. They're so far out, they're in. Really? You, oh, dude, you know what I'm doing right now? Eight tracks. <laughs> Dude, it's gonna come back. That's right, yeah, man. Well, used to be I start collecting. Yeah, their Morbid Angel put out an eight-track album. It was a re-release of Altars of Madness. It's fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's really great about it is that it's so fucking shitty sounding <laughs> that it actually makes it sound even more evil than it already is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And there's a um, there's a great phonograph. Uh, release that was just done by um, my asshole. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. Oh, this guy, this guy over here. Yeah. Don't hate the tape. <laughs> Whatever. If you like tapes, fine for you, man. Go get your fucking ears checked, though. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I don't give two fucks, dude. Cold-blooded. You're not going to do um, a podcast about Lemmy and act like a fucking fool on it. You know what I'm saying? Tell you what I think. It's the way Lemmy would want it. So they got a, a Motorhead got a record deal with uh, ZYX, a German company. They offered him, I think it's a half a million dollars yeah, $500, up front. $500,000 up front. <laughs> <laughs> but then the shitty thing is, is after their next album that they recorded, which was Bastards... They wouldn't give them money to have 200 uh, demo CD or um, well, they didn't even want the, they didn't even want the money. They just wanted the CDs. Yeah, and they said it was too expensive. Yeah, for 200 promo CDs to to give to record companies or sorry, uh, radio. Yeah, um, I'm like, stations. how do you give someone half a million dollars and you're like, oh yeah, but 200 CDs of that stuff that cost like a couple of pennies to print each. Yeah. You know? No, that's too much. Yeah, exactly. Somebody over there was doing something they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, it was super weird. It's like, here, we're super excited to have you on this label. Here's all this money, but no support. Yeah. And then they they were also, it was a little fishy because ZYX is a, they do a lot of techno music, apparently. Yeah. So, And they're, they're a German, basically only really did German-based stuff. So yeah. they didn't know how to market outside of Germany. So the album did really well in Germany, but outside of Germany, it completely disappeared. Yeah. Nobody ever heard of it or knew that it was out, really. Yeah. Because of the way they marketed it other places. Yeah, it sucks. Um, yeah, so... Bastards, 
talk about that at all? Go ahead. Uh, that was the first album that Mickey D was on. And Lemmy was surprised that he was really involved with it. Um, and he, Mickey D, recorded the drums in record time, which apparently was, I don't know, very typical of Mickey. Um, Howard Benson produced it. And, uh, sorry, so Howard Benson is the producer that stayed with Motorhead for at least four albums up until this autobiography was done, which was in 2001, 2002. Yeah, he broke the two-album curse. Yeah, because everyone else was like, they did okay for the first album, and then on the second album they were shit, and then they were fired. <laughs> so Howard Benson stayed on, and apparently he like he would flip out at them because the band would just... I, I feel like they would be uh, bros and sort of bash him a little bit. I remember Phil Campbell said to him at one point, like how Howard Benson was wearing a shirt with 36 <laughs> on it. And then Phil would ask, is that, is that shirt foreign? <laughs> Howard would say, no, why? I've never seen cunt spelt like that before. And then Howard would be like, why'd you guys even fucking hire me? What was great is he <laughs> said that they got him with that joke twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh man. So he was freaking out, but he was, he was good. Yeah. Um yeah, and this also surprised me because this is the first time that I realized that they never really prepared for recording records. They just went into the studio like we'll book they'll book a month in the studio and then just bang it out. That's what a lot of the records were like. Yeah. Like the a couple weeks playing and making songs and then straight to recording. And a couple of their songs, like they would record, they would write and record on the last day in the studio. Yeah, just they, like oh yeah, they figured it out in two hours. Huge procrastinators. I don't remember which song it was, but he was talking about a song where they had recorded everything start to finish, and Mickey had left and like gone back to wherever he was living <clears throat> at the time. Yeah, and then they were like, I don't like this song anymore, and he just gutted everything but the drums and wrote a whole new song on top of the drum track. Huh. Yeah, that that was definitely a later record. I can't remember which one it was. We are Motorhead, maybe. Perhaps. I don't. I just remember that little tidbit. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought that, that was. I thought that was really surprising. I you know I hear about shit like that from from people, especially back in I think in that era, like pre people using digital recording all the time. Yeah. I hear about like Frank Zappa did stuff like that too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um. Like Frank wrote songs. I remember there was one, uh, maybe it was on Broadway, The Hard Way, or it could be a later album where Frank wrote a song. He took the bass, the bass line f from a bass solo, I think, that somebody had done live, and then he wrote a song around it and then recorded everything in the studio and put that out as its own song. Damn. Yeah, and I I remember listening to it and being like, it just sounds like a normal Frank Zappa song to me. Anyways, that's really neither here nor there, but, <laughs> but I, I'm pretty impressed by, by that era of musicians, I think. I think it was off the next album, Sacrifice, that they did that. Oh, is that when they did that? I think so. Then that's when Wurzel uh, started to really exit. He started to kind of really leave at that point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a quote that Lemmy had there and he said it was really difficult for, uh, for me for years. He was my best friend in the band and then he became this person that I didn't know and hated me and that can break your heart, you know? And I know. I, that, and I was like, that breaks my heart just to read that. I know. You know? 
So sad. Yeah, it really seemed like... I mean, Lemmy never comes right out and says it, but the impression I got was that Wurzel's wife was sort of building him up to be more than he actually was in the band. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, like, Wurzel was like, why don't I ever do press? Like, I never get to do press. And Lemmy was like, dude, you used to do press with me, and you told me you hated it, and you stopped coming. Yeah. Like, you can come do the press if you want, but you're the one who hasn't been coming. I didn't say you couldn't come to the press releases. You know, and there seemed to be like a lot of stuff like that. And it, and he kind of hints a little bit that, that once he got married, that stuff was really happening a lot. Yeah. Um, and then he also says there was a gig that they had done a short time after. Oh, uh, yeah. That, and one of the, I think crew had told them that Wurzel came to the gig and he just like stood in the back and cried throughout the entire show. Uh, yeah. And Lemmy was uh, like, yeah, that really like, that really made me feel very sad to hear that you know yeah. <sighs> yeah i know i made a note of that too it's just like it's so fucking it's so hard wrenching yeah it really is man the bands are like they're like families yeah you know when when it's disrupted it fucking can hurt sometimes man um but yeah so the what's interesting is they were going to find a new guitar player to uh to take over as the fourth but um, Phil Campbell was like, hey, man, let me let me see if I can do this, you know? Yeah. And Lemmy was surprised because usually Phil would be on stage just kind of like in his spot, head down, just playing guitar. And Wurzel would be the one jumping back and forth on stage. And then they played live and he's like, what do you know? Fucking <laughs> there's Phil fucking zooming right behind him. Yeah. I think, wasn't he like, wait, who the fuck else is on stage or something? <laughs> Oh, uh, so funny. And I think Lemmy liked it too because it gave the the bass more space to play. So he had a little bit more room and it made recording easier because there was less, you know, guitar player egomania. Yeah, the less hands in the pot, the better, right? Yeah. Yeah, it does happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> this asshole doesn't even know what's going on. Yeah, I know. He doesn't even care. He doesn't give what? a shit. Talking shit about him. Yeah, we're uh, talking no, shit dude, about him. We're both I'm, looking at you talking shit, and you're just like looking at your Dude, I'm, I'm I'm busy prepping. Okay. Um, I'll leave it to you, Dino. Uh, yeah, so um, they had a new American label, C- CMC, a couple months after Sacrifice came out. Um, and then I, f- I feel like from here, at least in the autobiography, it kind of just goes on to... Like they would do an album, they would tour, and they didn't really have any prima donna shit going on. There wasn't yeah. really any um, sort of drama happening. Fucking Mickey D would bust out all the drum tracks on an album in like a day. It would take him a day to record all the drums. So, you know, just being a fucking badass. Yeah, he's fucking awesome. Um,. And then he also said, you know, like Phil had a little bit more pressure to write. Uh, They toured places like Russia. Um, And then at that time, I think it was 1997, England started realizing like, oh, we can turn a profit with Motorhead. So they started touring England more again. Yeah. And um, he had a... uh, Actually, I think it might have even been 96, dude, because there was a bit where he said that he... 
he found it very amusing that that they did a completely sold out tour in England. Yeah. Like every every single show was sold out on the whole tour. Yeah. Um yeah. And uh in 96 they also went to Japan and when they did that they decided to uh join uh forces with Sharon Osbourne which oh, yeah. which really sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, she farmed out their Japanese tour to uh, one of her uh, protégés, I guess, Alan Perlman. Mm-hmm. And he essentially like fucked it up. I was a little bit honestly confused, though, about his telling of that because he said that um, Alan gave the float money to Phil Campbell. I don't understand why he would do that, but I also don't see how that was his fuck up. I don't either but i i thought the major contention was the fact that he was saying that motorhead fucked up uh one of the hotel rooms or something but see the reason behind that that lie was to because he had given the money to phil campbell so he had explained where that money went and he said it went to the hotel room debacle which never happened there's a very strange thing about that whole story there that i didn't really understand Maybe it's because I've never toured and I don't really know how that works, but I didn't really understand exactly what happened there. Yeah. Other than that, he was lying about uh, Motorhead destroying hotel rooms and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they, the albums that they recorded were uh, Snakebite Love, went on tour, did. Uh, live album Everything Louder Than Everyone Else recorded in 1998 released in 1999 recorded We Are Motorhead again nothing eventful the band flew over to LA to record the album Hammered on September 10th 2001 day before September 11 Um, no it was I think it was just no never mind yeah so uh, that was interesting and then um that's sort of where the autobiography ends up is is 2001 and um yeah he 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 ends the book really interestingly he ends up talking about his dad and then says something about like you shouldn't like talk bad about the dead but fuck that <laughs> it was like well where's this coming from it was like in the last paragraph and i was having a hard time being like why is this in here and why is this the end of the book? And I feel like there's that like last half page chapter that just says, you know, like buy our records. You won't be disappointed just to be like soften the blow a little bit. (laughs) Like (laughs) fuck dude. (laughs) Oh man. But yeah, obviously they, I mean, they, they went on with that same lineup, uh, through till Lemmy's death and, 2016 15 so, sorry 15 was it december december 20th yeah. yeah so um so real quick though so in 2004 motorhead actually won a grammy for best metal performance the thing that kind of i was like yes that's great but i was a little bit annoyed because they won it for a cover of metallica's whiplash yeah and i was like fuck you guys dude the grammys are such horseshit yeah fucking bullshit dude um Anyways, at least they got something, but fuck the Grammys. 
And then also same year, uh, he, that's when Probot, uh, when Dave Grohl did Probot. Oh yeah. So he was he's on that album, which is a killer album, and his track is killer, and also the King Diamond track is killer. The whole album is fucking awesome. Um, and then my notes end at his death on December twentieth, twenty fifteen, from cancer at age seventy. Do you have anything, Matt? Yeah, so I'm gonna rewind back to Hammered. Um, so. Uh, the band, I guess, took a month off and began uh, working, I guess, a month off from touring and began working on a new album at Chuck Reed's house in the Hollywood Hills. Um, let's see. It's their 16th record. This is where the notes kind of are very lackluster. So I'm just going to fly by through all these. Do you fly? All these albums. Um, which, no, again, it's it's not surprising because it seemed like with that lineup, there wasn't much drama yeah, there, there happening. Was, it was yeah. just like... It was solid, like, solid lineup. It yeah. turned into like a complete job. Like, there basically it was tour, um, write an album, tour, write, write an album with like periods of rest in between. But anyway, uh, so Hammered was released on Metal IS. It was a rock label owned by the new Sanctuary Records. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and as you said, uh, D, Mickey D and Phil flew to L.A. on September 10th when they started writing um, uh, songs. And then September 11th happened. And they're like, holy fucking shit. Like, this is like crazy because like we could have been on that plane. And um, so that that's what kind of led to the whole album's moodiness. Is because they were. It was just kind of. I mean, all of America. I, I think the world was pretty much in it, shock. We all got caught up in a frenzy. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but you know, again, Lemmy Lemmy doesn't like the record. So it's he, what he quotes in uh, the Guts and Glory. It's a Motorhead documentary. Um, Hammered. I'm kind of ambivalent. It's up and down. There's some good tracks on it, and there's some crap on it. So, you know, and I I I. I think he's right. There's a few songs on there that I do like. Um, Voices of War is, I think, is a pretty fucking cool track. Um, let's see what else. Um, so the I don't know what song, but uh, Motorhead actually performed live for Triple H. Oh yeah. Oh, I am the game. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And, and for his entrance into the ring. I am the game. You don't want to play me. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, yeah, Triple H also, used to watch that also uh, contributed co-vocals on the last. I think it's the last song. What? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah it's cause... a spoken word track. Oh, okay. Called Serial Killer. Yeah, and I think Triple H had a couple of like. Uh, theme songs, yeah. right? When he was, or he did he have more than one? I, I only so. know I am the game. That's because I, I think during uh, Lemmy's his eulogy, yeah, was, um, yeah, he said that like every time he made a new song, he always did it with Motorhead. Oh, that's killer. Yeah. So. Well, I didn't know about that. I'm gonna have to check that out. Um, and then Joe Pentagono, the longtime artist, he, he uh, talks about how the 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 cover for the album was supposed to be made for the. Um, for old, it was an old 27th year anniversary design, so they redid it, and he kind of wanted to look like it. What would go on a uh, officer's uniform? Ah, oh. I think because Lemmy's kind of into the whole, you know, World War Two shit. Um, so they go on tour and they play with Anthrax, 
Psycho Squad, and I think at one point they were supported by Hawkwind, where Lemmy went on stage and performed uh, Silver Machine. Of course, he performed Silver Machine. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So anyway, um, they did... Oh, Phil Campbell had to miss a few shows because his mother died, um, and Todd Youth stood in for him. Again, more summer festivals. They went to the United States and played with Maiden and Dio. That would have been a cool show to see. Yeah, I would have. Wait, 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 wait. No, I was at that show. Oh, yeah? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I was going to be like, oh, I would have loved to go there. And I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> I fucking no, went to that, yeah. dude. Um, oh, it was a killer. Oh, God, it was so fucking good. That was the first time I ever saw Motorhead. Yeah. What, what, what year was that? Um, you know, it's a little convoluted because I, I didn't get to go through it. Dude, and, I still remember that show and, like pretty uh, put it in order. Um, that was when he came out and he goes, we're Motorhead and we're going to fuck you up. And he just started playing. I want to say it was between, um, when was Hammered release? 2002, between 2002 and 2003, I want to say. Oh, God. Um, let's see. And again, like I said, this is when the Motorhead just starts to do a lot of touring. And then, so, compilation albums and live albums were released. Um, live at Brixton, Brixton, Brixton Academy is their fourth official live album. And then in 2004, um, let's see. Which is funny because in Brixton, that's where Wurzel was in the audience. Oh, is that when that was? Crying is not that one specifically. Oh, I see. But yeah, same location. So they were doing some concerts in 2004. And then during that time, they would take time off to kind of work on material. And that's when they released, that's when they were working on Inferno. And that was released in june 22nd 2004 uh steve i actually plays on the plays on terminal show and down on me uh and in the black was featured on the video game brutal legend you might remember that oh yeah dude brutal legend had a fantastic soundtrack yeah i don't know they got the most real metal fuckers to put that together because that soundtrack was so satisfying so inferno is kind of when when megadeth i'm not keep doing this motorhead starts to have a more aggressive sound and i think that's high to do with uh, cameron webb producing the the records um and uh let's see what did he say what did he say so cameron webb discussed the possibility of working with motorhead and and um i don't know who said this i'm trying to find it I think I think this is from Cameron where he says I talked about how I wanted to make a really heavy record with them. That was a mistake because Lemmy likes to play rock and roll. He doesn't like to play heavy music, and he called me on it. So again, there's Lemmy saying, "Hey, listen, we're doing it my way. <laughs> this is my band. Yeah, this is my band." Um, so nonetheless, they they Cameron Webb did did uh, have his get to play on it and. Um, Mickey D actually says that he pushed us a little more. He wasn't inti- intimidated by our rock star moods. Nice. And uh, Lemmy says that it was a great thing because Mickey can be really intimidating, so can I. And Phil can be really violent. Really? Yeah, that's, that's, that, that was his quote wow, from, okay. uh, from a, a, the bonus Inferno DVD. Okay, all right. Uh, and let's see. So they admit again that uh, Inferno was made the same way as their other albums last minute. They by running a big rehearsal room and then writing songs in about six weeks. 
after a week break recording all of them while they're so fresh something to me about that like feels very good like, yeah I, I like that um inferno actually had a kind of a one-off track it's very anti-motorhead it's called uh, whorehouse blues <laughs> and it was a departure from the band's kind of in terms of i guess influence mm-hmm. uh described as country blue style i wonder if it was There's actually a yeah. guitar yeah and i think i think they they because there's no drums and uh mickey d actually plays the guitar on that record on that track and there's a harmonica um because it's so like non-mega i mean motorhead that like <laughs> the only thing that's familiar is lemmy's voice Again, Motorhead, you already mentioned they picked up their first Grammy for Best Metal Performance by Whiplash, a cover of Metallica. Uh, basically, I, I did get to listen to Inferno. I think it's a good album. Uh, definitely different. Um, it sounded it sounds a lot more make, uh, Motorhead. Why do I keep saying Megadeth? But, sorry, people. Um, it sounds more mature, but I think that's probably due to the production. Uh, it just... Just it sounds like fucking heavy as shit. Um, a few songs that I like is uh, In the Name of Tragedy and Fight, which would be funny because the song starts up with Lemmy says, he either says pull or put the bass up, will ya? And then the song starts. Nice. Yeah. It's like on, on, on a typical motorhead. I'm yeah. actually reminded of, of uh, there's that rap song. It's turn the bass up. Yeah. Uh, You're the Wolf I Like. Uh, Smiling Killer is fun because it put a smile on my face. <laughs> Smiling like a killer. Doop, 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 doop. Um, yeah. So and again, War, uh, Whorehouse Blues is just so different. But it's it's actually a good record. Um, they a, another compilation album was released in two thousand five. It was the BBC Live and In Sessions. There's all their uh, BBC One radios from a seventy eight to eighty six, and then a seventy nine concert recording in Paris, London. I mean, the Paris Theater in London, sorry. Uh, then Kiss, Kiss of Death was released on August 26, 2006. Again, with Cameron Webb uh, producing. Um, Motorizer was released in 2008. Um, again, nothing more touring. World Was Yours, live albums, The World Is Ours, Volume 1 and 2. Aftershock was released in October 2012. Wait, was Motorizer the one that was shitty? Wait, which one wasn't that I good? I don't think it's that good. Motorizer was actually... Um, the drum tracks were actually recorded at Dave Grohl's studio. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. With with the web guy? Uh, Alex Webb? I don't see his name in here. Okay. Um, there's Cameron, Cameron Webb again. Oh, that's the producer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the world, so Aftershock was 2012. Um, again, with Cameron, Cameron Webb. Why is that so hard for me to say? Um, again, more touring. Bad Magic is, is uh, the 22nd studio album. I like Bad Magic a yeah, lot. It was released on August 28th, 2015. Again, Cameron Webb at the helm. Um, let's see. And then, yeah, it's When the Sky Comes Looking For You was the only song to play live by the band before Lemmy passed away. Oh, really? Yeah. I. 
And that album was actually recorded differently than their regular processes because um, the they would actually play it like live in studio and they got recordings of it. So the out like half the and oh. let me actually says that like there's about five or so tracks that were recorded that way on that album. Okay. So you know like Opeth's last last record, I think they just got all in a room and just played. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a live recording in studio. Rush did that too. That's yeah. how Rush yeah. recorded their early stuff. And then December twenty eighth, uh Lemmy died four days after celebrating his seventieth birthday. Damn. He was the second Motorhead member to die in 2015 following Phil Taylor. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the, for the previous month. Yeah. Um, Mickey D actually even says that uh, he could see Lemmy's energy on stage dwindling. He just became very, very tired. Cancer, man. Yeah. Yeah, Mickey was saying that he was he thought that they were going to have to cancel the tour. He was surprised that they that Lemmy actually finished it. Yeah, and, and Lemmy actually had to- hard times on, on tour when it was higher in elevation. Like oh, he's like, Denver. Yeah, he's like, I, I just can't do it. Uh the one thing that I want to say was it it's surprising that Motorhead isn't more popular than they are. Yeah, they have 22. I've got the feeling they're going to get an uptick in. I know, but I, I think a big part of it is just record, like record companies fucking yeah. them over and not seeing the potential. And then just they, I, you can't find half their albums on like Spotify you know, even just, on, on uh, Apple Radio, whatever the new yeah, thing, it's it and it sucks because like, because Lemmy will go through and then say how good he thinks an album is, and then you can't even find it. Yeah, to listen I to. I had to YouTube a lot of it. Yeah, it's and, fucking bullshit, dude. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so I think like, if Sony would have given them more push, or, but that's know, what if, the record company is supposed to do. Like, I feel like if he got on something like. I don't know, uh, Metal Blade. like Metal Blade or Roadrunner at yeah. some point, like it, they would have had more consistent support and then their albums would be easier to find. But see, again, uh, I, this brings up a thing that Lemmy said a while ago is that it's really hard to market them because rock and roll was dying and they're a rock and roll band. Yeah, but I feel like with Inferno, they, you know, they had a heavier edge to them. Right, but they, it was still Motorhead. Yeah, but you know, I don't know. It was you can. It was all the classic Motorhead sound, but just more aggressive sound. Yeah, yeah, man. You know, and I I hear what he's saying, and I believe it's true to an extent. But then at the same time, it's like I don't know. Imagining a Motorhead and Alice in Chains tour like they did in South America, like that doesn't at all seem like wrong in my mind. No, it it, it doesn't. Fits like a glove. Yeah, you know. And I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they should have actually just started sticking them with the grunge people. I don't know, but but what I'm saying is that I think the record companies got they didn't know how to, because there was I, no rock and roll really around. Maybe not like Motorhead. Maybe, I'll maybe say that. I I don't know, dude. I think that they just got in some really bad business with people. I think. Then they have to be the most unluckiest band in the fucking world. Well, it's true. That's the way it came across. Be- yeah. Because the like when they didn't have a record label, like no one was picking them up. They just like kind of sat there until they had people bat for them. It's that, so fucking weird to me. 
And it see, is. that's a shame because like I, I know you can't base a business on personality, but even going through all the documentaries, like Lemmy is actually a nice fucking guy. Seems nice to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like he'll take time to, to talk to fans. He'll he'll sign your shit. You know, he's just a, a simple guy that wants to just lead a simple life. He just wants his whiskey, cigarette, fucking gamble. It's methamphetamine. Speed, yeah, yeah. So it helps. Um, but uh, yeah, I can't remember who she was. She was in a band uh, that toured with Motorhead and the in the Lemmy documentary, which you can find on Netflix right now. It's on there. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's, it was. They stayed with Lemmy and Motorhead for three years to make the I think documentary. It's about two hours long. Yeah, it's it's a pretty good one. And um, I wish I could remember her name right now, but I guess it doesn't really matter. There's uh, a lot of famous names in that. Yeah, I mean, it was like it's hard. I come was on, right? Hard to remember everything in there. Yeah, dude. Um, but yeah. Anyway, she was talking like her marriage was on the rocks, and and when they were touring, and I guess like her her husband at the time, um, like used to be a huge Motorhead fan, and she and Lemmy kind of I guess were hanging out and like very buddy buddy and stuff, and her husband was getting like really jealous and thought that they were having an affair or something. And so Lemmy ended up writing this guy like this really like n- nice, long, eloquent note. Like, yeah, I know that you used to be a fan of, of mine and my band. And I just want to like let you know that like I never did anything with your wife and I would never like like do that, like, you know, or anything like that. And I don't know. And she was talking about just how sweet he was and like genuine, you know. Uh, and respectful he was. Yeah. Um, and on the flip side of that, when he got kicked out of Hawkwind, I think he fucked like three, a couple of their wives or girlfriends <laughs> or something at the time. So, Revenge I mean, fuck. I don't know. Maybe it's because he was older. Yeah. But, no. but yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, I think, I, I, I think, I think he ended his, I think he ended his life in a very mature, respectful. Yeah. Place. I, I think that as men get older, because testosterone levels, let's be, let's be real. Um, they they drop and we become just more mellow and just like let's just like finish this off we we don't need to fight anymore we don't need to fucking get all crazy let's just <laughs> as easy as possible <laughs> yeah yeah I have to say though there's a, in the in the Lemmy documentary there's a lot of funny moments in it yeah it's it's a dude I thought it was pretty humorous yeah yeah like what what's the anthrax guy's name. Scotty, Scotty, and that's it. Uh, he was describing when Lemmy had shorty shorts on. Oh, and they showed a picture of it. I yeah, was blown it was away. fucking dude. I was dying. <laughs> and like Scott, Scott Ian was wearing like long shorts. Yeah, and he's like, "Lemmy, what do you what are you wearing?" He goes, "I'm wearing shorts." And he goes, "No, no, no. These are." He goes, "No, no. Th- those are not shorts." He goes. Well, those are pants. <laughs> They're like long shorts. <laughs> those are pants. These are shorts. They yeah. keep me cool because it's yeah. so hot. And no, they started and, dancing in his. It was like it's basically like a jeans thong. Yeah, that's and because he said Scotty said when Lemmy bent over, it was like the sight was just hideous. Because it's like, where else are you gonna find Lemmy bent over a fucking slot machine <laughs> in like hundred degree weather with short shorts on? Anyway, oh my gosh, it it is funny. It's a it's a it's a great documentary. Yeah, I thought it was. A if good you one. didn't get your fill from the podcast, I'd you go check those out. Yeah, if the four hours <laughs> hasn't done it for you, there's a good add another two. Add another two to that. <laughs> uh, 
but that's it from me. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening. If you have uh, anything you'd like to add about our podcast or Lemmy or corrections or anything like that from a previous episode, you can reach us at metalnewsreviews at gmail.com. Metalnewsreviews at gmail.com. Metalnewsreviews at gmail.com. Write us, uh, write us a nice little note, and we may read it on the podcast, perhaps. <laughs> so, All right. All right. Toodles. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.